Hello, hello, everyone. It's Hannah Nieves from the HN House podcast. And today I have the pleasure of interviewing Tia Graham of Arrive at Happy. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to chat and, um, you have such an incredible story and such an impressive background, you know, for those that are listening in that are not familiar with the story, can you just kind of share how you got to where you got now and we'll dive in. Sure. Sure. So, um, I, I'll say just from a really early, early point in my life. Um, and I, I talk about personal stories in the book, but Um, happiness and choosing Mm -hmm. happiness and making choices to be happy has always been a really important part of my life. And I, I um, really rediscovered it sort of in my early twenties when I moved from Calgary, Alberta to Honolulu, Hawaii. And um, I, for 15 years, I worked in luxury hotels. I was a director of sales and marketing in the Hawaiian islands, in New York city, in Istanbul, Turkey, and then also in Los Angeles and, um, had some really incredible inspirational leaders. And then also had some really toxic negative leaders, which was Mm -hmm. one of the, some big inspiration behind, behind my work. And, um, really always tried to be a positive uplifting leader and, and peer, you know, to, to have work, be happy. And when I went back to work after having my second daughter, I was the director of sales for the London West Hollywood hotel, had a two-year-old little girl, and then a four-month-old baby girl and went back to work full-time. I was really, really struggling. Um, I was stressed. I had work guilt, mom guilt. I was angry. I was sad. I was anxious. I was frustrated. And I just felt really lost and stuck because my life circumstances had changed so much and I really wasn't happy. And that is when I started on this quest, this journey for myself to try and understand what happiness is, what makes people happy at work and and in their personal lives. And, um, you know, I've been on that journey for the past six years and basically created a company out of it called Arrive at Happy. And so I um, have studied positive psychology and coaching and applied neuroscience and, you know, went to Denmark and got certified as a chief happiness officer for happiness at work. And so it was really that this low point where I uh, started researching happiness and I discovered the science of happiness and then have, have built a company and, you know, book and everything. um, That is incredible. That is so incredible. And you talk a lot about, you know, how being happy is not just like kind of this one and done. There's this holistic view of becoming happy. Can you dive into that? Because when you said the science of happiness, like my, my ears perked up a little bit too, because I feel like I haven't had that conversation yet about like, what does it actually mean? So can you dive into that? Yeah. So the science of happiness really started a couple decades ago, um, late nineties by Dr. Martin Seligman. And the science of happiness is the study of what happy people do, how they live their life, the choices they make, what people are doing when they are feeling happy, all of these pleasant emotions. And it's also the study about when life is challenging, when you are really stressed or anxious or um, fearful, right? There's it's both sides of life. It's also about how to develop your psychological immune system so that when you are going through challenges, it doesn't affect you as much and you don't stay down as long. You still have peaks and valleys. Everybody does. Um, And in terms of just happiness and that holistic approach, 
So one way to look at it. So I studied with Dr. Tal Ben-Shahar, who taught happiness at Harvard, and he uses this model called Spire. And it's, there's many models out there like this, but you know, it's looking at happiness and, and ways that you can increase your happiness through your, so here's the Spire acronym is your spiritual well-being, your physical well-being, both your mind and your body, your intellectual well-being, learning and growing, your relational well-being, relationship with yourself and relationship with others, and then your emotional well-being, both the pleasant and the painful. And so um, it's a lot more, you know, there's a lot of myths and misconceptions around happiness, but one, you know, great way to look at for everyone listening, thinking about their own happiness is these sort of four, four big pillars is one is, do you feel that you are satisfied with your life? You're content with your life. Do you have more of the pleasant emotions than the painful Mm -hmm. ones? Do you feel like your life has meaning and purpose? And do you have novel different experiences? So, um, there is, I mean, there's probably over 2000 research articles and that's not even the, I'm not even getting the neuroscience side. That's just the positive psychology side. There's so much research in the world just needs to know, know about I love it. That. I love that. And I feel like this also has been coming up a lot, especially, you know, for a lot of the listeners that are listening in now, you know, they're business owners, they're founders or corporate executives as well. This definitely parlays into everything that just transpired with the pandemic. And, mm-hmm. you know, as we kind of like look at this concept of happiness, but then also how this plays into leadership and the future of work and life, like everything has shifted. And since the pandemic started, the way I feel like the way that these corporate companies are operating and engaging employees have had to shift over the last few years. Um, Can you share any insights into that as well? Um, Any insights as to what companies maybe are doing differently, what small businesses are doing differently to kind of engage them through this concept? Yes. Yes. So few, there's a yeah, few ideas that come to mind. So the first is many more organizations are having well-being or happiness, whether it's a manager title or for example, Deloitte has a chief well-being officer. So many companies Amazing. are, are really looking at human well-being and, and they're not thinking that it's something that happens that or you know outside of work that yeah. that caring about human well-being while people are working is is vital it's essential mm-hmm. um also of course companies are giving more flexibility more autonomy and allowing people to have a little bit more control over their schedule and their lives of course which is really really important um and just looking at you know the, the whole person mm-hmm. um and because there is this great reshuffle of, of people, you know, um, money and title and perks are not enough to keep a lot of people in their jobs, you know? And so Mm. there's also this focus on how are we making people feel, you know, and that's, that's the work that I do is how do you increase experienced happiness at work and, and leaders are having to either learn for the first time or upskill on, increasing the amount of care and compassion and vulnerability and authenticity. And of course the whole diversity and inclusion. I mean, there's so many Mm -hmm. silver linings and fantastic initiatives that have come out of, out of the last few years. And I, I personally am super excited about the future of work because I know it's going to be better for humans working 
it's it we, we can't go back you know it's, it's just we gonna cannot get go back I think about even for myself in my corporate days too which you know even when I first started out of college as well it was like I mean the big boys club it was like the wolf of wall street you know being in New York the whole nine yep. um and you know there really was no balance between work and life it was just it was work first and then life second from there and I think too to what you said too especially with like the mass resignation that is happening all over the place, um, from large entities down to small businesses, it's definitely kind of had people kind of relook at, you know, how they're engaging talent, um, which I love that you said too, that people are looking at well-being. They're looking at the way that people feel. I'm curious for those, um, if you have any tips or recommendations, we have some listeners in here that have smaller businesses, you know, like they're not the Deloitte's of the world. They're small businesses running a few people are, do you have any tips or recommendations for people listening in that have those smaller teams that really want to cultivate that culture? Yes, absolutely. So you could be a team of two or a team of 200,000, right? Or more, definitely size, it fits all. So for people listening that have a small team, um, here are, here's a few in it, you know, can, can expand out. So one strategy is to get really clear on how your company, how your work helps society, how it makes the world a better place. And it's not about, you know, you make money or you, you have the customers really think about what is the purpose of this organization? How is it making the world better? Because the number one motivator for people working is progress in meaningful work. So as the leader of the company, you need to constantly on a, on a monthly, weekly basis, be communicating the purposeful work that you're doing and how everyone in your organization is is having small wins towards that purpose. So that's a huge one. Second is giving consistent, specific, authentic, positive feedback. It's free and so easy. And it's a way to just increase happiness. Immediately is just let people know all the great things they're doing. Of course, coach for improvement but Mm -hmm. people are underappreciated across the globe. And so show that appreciation for sure. Um, Autonomy. And if you are not sure if you're micromanaging, ask your team, ask because micromanaging is a fast track to unhappiness Mm -hmm. at work. You want to have a culture of trust and autonomy. Absolutely. Um, Friendships. So the Gallup research shows that when people feel like they have a friend at work, they're going to be more productive, more motivated, of course, more loyal to your company. So think about everyone that works with you. And maybe it's maybe a lot of people are virtual, but do they have, do they talk about things that are not just work related? Would they say, you know, oh yeah, Tia in San Francisco. Yeah. I consider her my friend. You know, she knows about my kids or she knows so fostering friendships is a really, really good one. And then one other strategy is to be really transparent about the results in your organization. So let everyone know, even if you have you know, a part-time VA that's really, really helping your company, let them know how the company's doing on a monthly basis. Are you hitting your targets? Are you falling below? You know, um, everyone wants to know the results and everyone really cares. And that'll make people even more invested. Mm, I love that you said that too, especially the last one, because I find this comes up a lot as well. And sometimes, you know, we forget, but I know sometimes people think like, well, how transparent should I be? 
you know, like how transparent should I, should I loop them into all of the goals and the revenue numbers, or, um, should I wait until, you know, the end of the quarter and then produce those results? I'm curious your thoughts on that. Yeah, no, I would say, let them know monthly, let them know monthly. So I worked in hotels for 15 years and I use this example, you know, the steward, the person who's washing hundreds and hundreds of plates after a big, beautiful wedding wants to know how the hotel is doing. Mm-hmm. You know, he's, he or she's coming in every single day, working eight or nine hour shifts, working really, really hard. And if he or she didn't show up, there would be a disaster because you need the plates mm-hmm. for the, you know, big meeting the next day. So let everyone know how your company is doing. And, and the, and I would say the challenges as well as the successes, because they'll feel a part of the team. Mm, I love that you said that. And I feel like this also has to start from the top down because like to what you said too, like this is a conversation that now finally companies are having and leaders are happening are having, but I feel like also this has to start from like the top down. It can't just be, let's have these strategies and talk about this, or maybe, you know, from the founders you know, or CEOs, let's just put this on, you know, middle management to execute for us. So, um, for those I mean, that are listening into any thoughts or feedback on like embodying this as a founder from the top down, which I think can be really hard because this requires vulnerability. So I'm curious, like what you've seen also. Yes. Yes. So there's, there's some owners of companies that I've worked with or that I am working with right now that, that come to mind. And, you know, the, in, in my book, the first step out of my, I have an eight step methodology. My, the first step is start with you. So you cannot expect your team and then your customers to be really, really happy if you're not well, you know? And so for, for owners or executives of, of companies, people at the top is realizing that there's a direct connection with a lot of research behind it that, that shows that when you are happy, when you're positive, when you are feeling well, your brain operates differently. So you are more productive. You are more creative. You are going to be more successful. You will, you know, sell more. There's, you know, all of this. And so just knowing that, that if you think about your brain, like a computer, you want it to be working optimally. And when you are feeling positive and well and healthy in all areas, that machine is going to, to, you know, work a lot better and you will inspire and motivate your team more because emotions are contagious. There's mirror neurons, your energy transmit and affects not only your employees, but research shows it affects your employees, spouses and children. So if you have a toxic wow. leader, it's going to negatively affect your employees, kids, that's the ripple effect. It's huge. And so, um, you know, it's the, I would say for leaders, it's very, very easy to have 95% of your focus just on driving results on the strategies, making money, having a profit. Of course, that's what businesses are for, but what I challenge leaders to do and, and, you know, the leaders of the future need to be as strong on at the relationship side, right? It's results and relationships, Mm. those one-on-one relationships. And then the team relationship, if the people at the top are, are very negative and toxic, it's going to be hard to have that flow through. I will say though, you can create really healthy subcultures within a team 
without, you know, the top being like that. And then that, that leader Mm -hmm. can be a buffer. I've been in that position, but it's obviously a lot harder. That is, that is so powerful. And even just, I wrote that to, uh, that down as well with the impact on, you know, not just you, not just your employee, but also your employee's family and then their children. Like I've never heard of that concept before. I think that's really, really powerful. Um, and for those listening in, I feel like people are going to take a step back and see like, okay, how am I running my companies now? Um, which is so incredible. And, um, in terms of like, I mean, you just wrote this incredible book, which goes into this, which guys. I'll put the link in the show notes here too. Like, I'm curious, like what's next for you now? Like you've basically cultivated this movement around this. I'm curious, like, what are the next steps and kind of like, what's, what's in the future for you? Oh, well, um, I honestly feel super honored. I pinch myself that I get to, to do this work. It feels really meaningful to me. Um, I am going to be giving a TEDx talk in September. That'll be my first one, of course. Amazing. So that's something in the future. And, um, yeah, just, I'm working with all different types of types of companies and organizations. I would love to write more books for sure. I have a bunch of different ideas that I'm thinking of potentially, you know, um, courses that I would license to companies thinking about that. Um, those are, those are some, I'm sure there's others, but uh, yeah, I yeah, do I really, I, I do a lot of work both virtually. And then of course, like everyone, doing a lot more, um, in-person keynote talks too. Ooh, I love that. We, we just hosted an in-person event last month and it was just, it was incredible. I mean, when you don't have it for so long and then you're able to see people in person, it's just a different energy. So, um, you are incredible. Thank you for just sharing your wisdom, your insights, like where can people connect with you, follow you, all the things. Yes. So my website is arrive at happy.com. And then you'll see the book, be a happy leader on there as well. Um, Instagram arrive at happy. I have a weekly YouTube show, Tia Graham arrive at happy show. And then, um, I'm also really active on LinkedIn. Amazing. Thank you so much. And if you like this episode, please share it, please tag us, share it with someone that it would resonate with. And thank you so much for being here. Oh, thanks for having me.